About Them Cowboys is brought to you by GameTime, your go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Cowboys and NFL ticket prices drop right before the game starts? GameTime is a new app that tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And when uh, football season's over, they got all the best deals on MLB, NHL, concerts, theater, and more. So game time is your year-round option for the best deals on tickets. But don't take it from me. More than 12 million fans have already downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So don't delay. Download Game Time on the App Store or Google Play now and score some awesome deals on last-minute tickets. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I don't want you to think that I'm not honored by this because I, I am. I feel very, very honored. And it's, but it's just that awards are stupid. <laughs> Every real estate office has some framed five diamond president's award thing by the desk. Every hotel check-in has some gold circle service thing every car salesman's a platinum jubilee winner and the hotel sucks the real estate person is stupid and the only thing the car salesman is good at is ripping you off and why because awards don't mean a thing it's stupid they're all stupid the only thing else i got to say is how about them cowboys how about them cowboys indeed we are midway through the NFL season. The Cowboys are just barely over 500. So it's time for us to sit back here at The Athletic and analyze what we've seen so far well beyond the box score with a special award ceremony edition of About Them Cowboys. I am Kent Garrison, the Kent Brockman of the show, as our illustrious talent makes their way down the red carpet. Oh, and first we're welcoming back the editor of The Athletic, Dallas. You've seen his work. In the New York Times, you've heard his voice on About Them Cowboys. It's Mike Pellucci. Hey, Mike. Welcome back. I, I feel very spiffy. I'm dressed to the nines. I've got the tux on. I've got the hat on. I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready to see some You awards. look great. You did. You, it wasn't required to dress in a tux, but it's good, good that you business. did that anyway. I'm all business. Yeah, you're, you're committed. And uh, back to guide us to the promised land of all things Cowboys, it's Father John Mashoda. Hey, John. I'm just wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt and jeans. Sorry, guys. <laughs> nice. Nice. Welcome to the jungle. And you might not know, the best free agent radio host that I know, Kevin K.T. Turner, also doubles as an award show host. Oh, wait. Yes, yeah, it, it looks like the house lights are dimming. So it's time for the first annual About Them Cowboys Mid-Season Award Show Awards. Live from Studio Nowhere. It's the first annual About and Cowboys Mid-Season Awards Show Awards, probably the most relevant and important awards show there is. Now here is your host, Katie Turner. <laughs> Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome in to the first annual About Them Cowboys Award Show Mid-Season Awards Show podcast. As Kent said and that guy said, I am your host and it's good to be here. Hey guys, uh, how are the Eagles like my neighbors? I don't how? know, KT. Yeah. How? Because they can't pick up a single yard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. oh man, that's why we hired you, bro. That's why. That's why I got the gig. 
<laughs> is that the uh, monologue? Yeah, that's it for the monologue. Yeah, that's every, it. Every word <laughs> show. Pretty quick. You just got to have one. He's had one ready to go. All right, so we're going to start, guys, with the first uh, c- category, the first award that we'll be giving away today. And we will start out with the nominees. Well, we don't really have nominees, but for the biggest surprise. The winner of the midseason biggest surprise award is from the position of defensive end, Robert Bobby Quinn. <laughs> Bobby! Right. R- Robert, Robert Bobby Quinn. Yeah, well, can we Puerto talk Rican a, Bobby. You, you have um, so many nomenclature options as a Robert. You can go in the Rob family, you can go in the, the Bob family. A lot, a lot of options there. What's Marinelli's and, nickname for him, Mishota? Well, he has, he calls him the Black Cobra. Ooh. But in a previous episode of this show, KT and I were joking about some of the nicknames they give out on Pro Football Reference. And KT gave me an assignment to go and look up. And I went through the entire roster because I'm a loser like that. And it was surprisingly disappointing. Um, there weren't that many nicknames for Cowboys players. Um, but Robert Quinn, they had Black Lightning, Elroy, and Gumby. Oh, which makes sense. Now, Elroy, he also named his dog, um, his little dog, I think. So, um, you know, he also said he goes by Puerto Rican Bobby, which is cool because his mother is a Puerto Rican. Um, are you guys okay with that? We'll start with you, Father John. What, what do you think about that biggest surprise this year for the Cowboys? Robert Quinn. Is that what you would have voted for? Yeah, 100%. I don't think that there were a lot of other surprises. And, and not that him having an impact is a huge surprise. It's just the level of impact he's had so far, I think, is far exceeded what we were expecting. I mean, he if he's playing all 16 games, he's on a pace of, you know, almost 19 sacks in a season. I mean, that he would be leading the NFL, uh, you know, on this current pace that he's on. And I don't think anybody's expecting that. I think it was, uh, hey, this will be good. This will fit. This will kind of fill in for Randy Gregory, maybe get eight or nine sacks and, uh, now you look at it and you're expecting way more than even that. And um, yeah, I, for what they gave up, what they're getting in return, I, I certainly didn't think at this point in the season we'd be talking about, man, they, they might have to franchise tag him. You know, you look at too, how many times, obviously we've talked about him being top 10 in the league and being double teamed. Um, and then you start looking at how many times he's won from just pass rush efficiency and he's way up there. And you're going, my goodness. And you think of him as some old guy. I mean, he's just 29. You know, it's not like he's he's like ancient, you know, but he's at that age where he probably wouldn't pay guys, you know, anymore or give him a long-term contract. Um, and I don't think they'll give him a long-term contract, but that element of speed is something that they needed. And the fact that he's been able to bring it. I know a lot of people who thought Randy Gregory was going to be a part of this team. Uh, going into the year, they kind of thought that he was going to get reinstated, and we've heard nothing on that front, or very hey, little real on quick, that front. Real quick, let me add this in there. Speaking of that, so recently, uh, Jason Garrett was asked about, well, how come Randy still has a locker in, inside the locker room? Because they're oh, very man. quick to like get rid of those lockers. And uh, he played it off as, uh, he didn't know. He didn't know that. He, does, he He said that we know more about what goes on in the locker room than he does, so... Obviously, that was a Jason. I'm trying not to answer this. Uh, oh, that's the right response. I don't have you an guys answer. know more about what goes on in the locker room than I do. The head coach, he meant, yeah, yeah. No, that's what he. That's, that's, <laughs> uh, 
I think he meant in, as, as in oh, I think uh, the way like the lockers the details are set of it? up. Okay. Yeah, I think he meant more the way the lockers are set up and oh, where every single yeah. player sits. But that's not true. He he was just trying to get out of it because I've seen him walk through the locker room many a times. But, uh, yeah, it is interesting because generally the Cowboys, when they've moved on from a player, um, not only do, is the locker gone and replaced, as we saw with um, Taco Charlton, the number is, is quickly given to other players sometimes. So it is kind of interesting that we haven't heard anything about Randy, but he does still have a locker uh, at the start. And Quinn wanted number 94, but he couldn't get it because Randy's got it. <laughs> so he had to take number 58. Um, I don't know about you, Mike. How do you feel about the future of Robert Quinn? Can he continue this in the second half? Uh, and what should the Cowboys, you know, do? I know they got money. They got to dole out to certain people. But how interested would you be in bringing Robert Quinn back, whether it's using one of your tags on him or, or signing him to – trying to sign him to a deal? Yeah, I'm not at the point where you sign him to a long-term deal exactly for what you said, right? I mean, he's 29, younger than we think, but, you know, pushing 30. He's a speed rusher. That isn't a skill set that tends to age super well. Um that being said, I certainly think he's played his way, you know, as John pointed out, into the discussion for a tag. I think you have to think about that if he keeps it up. And frankly, I don't see why he can't, you know, for as much as people like to bag a little bit on Tank Lawrence's production on the other side, which, by the way, is creeping up by the week. Tank, because he draws such a, you know an orbit around him, that gives Quinn a great opportunity on that blind side to get one-on-one, you know, reps against left tackles. And even the most nimble guys, I mean, his his moves, his speed, he can get by a lot of guys. So it would not shock me at all if he, you know, eclipses 15 sacks over the course of the year. And if you get to that point, I think you have to think about it. Um, I mean, definitely not a long-term deal for me. It's, you know, it's really a matter of do you tag him for a year, maybe two. And even then, maybe you don't if only because, look, they this team has done a very good job getting rushers in there maybe not complete rushers you know i mean i don't i don't know if a doran armstrong or carrie Hyder is ever going to be an every down guy but in terms of get to the quarterback i mean carrie Hyder put up what half dozen sacks last year in detroit or was it he wasn't even eight i mean so you know i think you at least have to ask the question for the bigger picture probably not in the short term though maybe because i do think he will keep this up i think just his talent combined with the fact that you know lawrence is playing so well on the other side and is demarcus lawrence that will free him up to keep making plays and so far we have no reason to doubt that he can keep doing that yeah, and I, I feel like it's a thing when you start talking about, you know, what they need and we'll, we'll move it on. We got 10 categories that we're going to get to, but you start looking at what they really needed and they needed a speed rusher, you know, and, and Tank can win with the speed, but Tank is more of a powerful, you know, crafty guy when it comes to getting to the passer. You're seeing more, more often than not, Robert Quinn just, you know, have good snap anticipation uh, and he's been able to to win you know there's been times where he hasn't you know remember we had that full oh it's feeling like months of talk of tj watt and taco charlton and the big thing was well can tj watt put his hand in the ground and rush we've seen robert quinn rush standing up sometimes he'll just be standing up and like he was a three four outside linebacker and he's gotten home that way a few times and it's kind of frustrating to me because i'm like that's why you didn't take tj watt but that's that's a conversation for another day they just needed that element of speed, and you can't rely on Randy Gregory to give that to you because he just wasn't going to be there or never gotten reinstated or whatever. Robert Quinn's element of speed at his age is just fascinating. And it's not just finishing, getting sacks. I mean, he's up there in pressures as well. And just I think the stats of defensive pass rushing efficiency, he is number one in the league. He is getting there for the amount of snaps he's out there. And I just – I think it's been huge, and that is why he wins the award for biggest midseason surprise. 
Let's go to the second category. The winner, or should I say loser, of the biggest disappointment award is Jalon Smith. Sorry, Jalon. <laughs> I like the, uh, the, uh, that guy said Jalon. Um, now, this one is probably a little controversial, right? Because there's, there's a number of guys who you can maybe go with the biggest appointment. I'll say disappointment. I'll say there's not been a player, including Jalen, there has not been a single player who has overly disappointed me this year. I'd agree with that. Yeah. But he gets the win. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on him winning the award for biggest midseason disappointment? It's tough to go individually because I don't know that there's one player that stands out more than others. You certainly could make a case for Tristan Hill because he hasn't really given you anything. And it was kind of sold to us that that's why they were getting him in the second round is because, um, you know, of his upside to be able to rush and and what kind of havoc he could cause rushing from the inside. And when you have Tyrone Crawford go down, it, it opens up the door even more from him. And we just really haven't seen anything, whether it be training camp, preseason, first half of this season where he's really shown you anything to make you think, oh yeah, they got, this is going to be their future three tech. So he could be mentioned in there and this is kind of a cop out and I'm sorry, but when I first saw the categories, the first thing I thought of for biggest disappointment was the, for me, it was the entire secondary. And the reason I say that is because uh, from what I saw from Xavier Woods in training camp, I expected a huge breakout year from him. And while he's made some plays, it hasn't been to that level. Haven't really noticed Jeff Heath much. And then, Byron Jones hasn't still hasn't gotten an interception and Cheeto has been targeted a bunch. And I thought for as much as he's been targeted, if you would have told me it would have been at that at that level, if you would have told me that before the season started, I would have thought he'd have at least two or three interceptions. And that hasn't been there yet. I just really thought this defensive backfield was going to take a significant step up. And, and I just really haven't seen that yet. I mean, you're nicer than me because I would have gone at least the whole back seven because in addition to Jalen, you know, uh, even Van Der Esch hasn't looked quite what he was in his rookie year. I think some of that was, of course, he was, you know, a little bit sick around the time of uh, the Green Bay New Orleans games. Maybe that factored in, but this is a defense that has had, you know, right now they're 20th in overall per football outsiders numbers. They're 19th in both adjusted and uh, adjusted pass and adjusted run. So it's not like they're doing their job necessarily in the run game either, you know, and I'm sure maybe this is, we'll get more into this. If I, if I had to guess, maybe this is kind of the, the village is burning around us moment later on, but, uh, you know, everything about the Jets game and afterwards and what Sam Darnold said about, Hey, they run the same scheme. And we know exactly what people are doing. Uh, it, you know, we, we can sit here and wonder for all kinds of catalysts why this is happening, how much of it is individual performance, how much of it is scheme. But to me, I mean, outside of the defensive ends, and I guess Antoine Woods, when Antoine Woods has been healthy, but even then Antoine Woods isn't going to be a game-breaking player in your defense. You could argue, you can make an argument for a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball. You can make an argument for multiple units on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, my runner-up would be Cheeto specifically because, you know, Cheeto is kind of – we're seeing him get picked on a little bit more. And seeing Byron still like – Byron's numbers are going to look – the interceptions will be there, but his numbers are going to look very similar to last year, I think. Once we prorate this thing out, just in terms of – how many times he's been thrown at and completion percentage in his area. Like, I think his numbers are going to look very similar to last year. And we've seen Cheeto be close. We've seen Cheeto make some plays. But more often than not, that's the kind of spot. At least to me, that's kind of the weak link of the secondary. But the thing is, Cheeto makes nothing. I think you do have to talk about value. And the Cowboys went in and paid Jalen what they paid him. And it just hasn't looked great from the beginning 
He doesn't look as he looks like he's lost a half step, maybe. And the New Orleans game, he was really good. And I was like, okay, maybe it takes, you know, guys three, four, five weeks to get going. Now nowadays we don't have guys playing in preseason games as much. Um, and he had a good game against the Packers, and then it felt like he dropped back down after that week in week six, uh, uh against the Jets. So I don't uh I don't think Jalen has had some crappy year and needs to be replaced or anything like that. I think all in all. It hasn't been terribly disappointing in terms of just, hey, here's one guy and he've let me down. Like, you can't really identify that. And what John said about Tristan Hill, I agree with. But how much expectation did we have for the second round guy, the late second round guy, who we kind of knew was going to develop? Can I get one play? Just one? Just one one play. play? Just that's my line. You're going to get a flash. You're going to get a flash soon. Okay. Uh, And if you don't, well. We'll just get Kent to delete this. Um, no, I don't know. You know, I, you know what? I still think, but Tristan Hill makes nothing, so that's why Jalen signed the deal. That's why you get this. Because didn't we think we were talking about to be talking about all pro level linebackers here? Both two guys, and, and Layton and Jalen now just look like good linebackers, not great linebackers, and I think they'll be fine in the end. I think it all comes together again. I, I'm the guy who comes on here and preaching. This defense is not as bad as people are making it out to be. So, there's, he's your winner, for better or for worst. And, hey, it's, it's sometimes it's like a boxing scorecard. You never know, you know, who's voting for what, who's voting for who. So, you might have some controversy at the end. Next category. The winner of the Jerry Jones midseason quote of the year is... Zico. Keep him coming, Jerry. Pretty good right there. In fact, that quote turned into an entire T-shirt. And I believe, John, you were there when it happened. I was, and and that certainly is a good one. I was talking to Ken about that before the show started, and I almost forgot about that because, well, one, Jerry usually gives gold almost every time he talks. But, no, that was a good one just because from being there, initially you could tell that Jerry didn't – he thought it was just print reporters around him, and he didn't realize there was a camera right behind him. And then so once he saw that, you know, he had to kind of embrace it. But I think he wanted it to be more of a tongue in cheek just between uh, a few people standing around. And then it blew up into something that obviously Ezekiel Elliott and his people said that they took offense to and that they were uh, they were a little bothered by. But everything got done. And so everyone's happy now. I will say, though, a runner up for me personally, just because I feel a lot of things Jerry says I've heard him say before. And but but after Jason Garrett got that uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty uh, and and then, you know, it was because of the language or whatever that the, that he was using with that ref. And then Jerry, when it, Jerry was specifically asked about that after the game and he said, well, I hope that little darling didn't hear anything he hasn't heard before. That was that's one of my favorite quotes from him because he was being really, huh. really trying to keep it to himself. Uh, about a lot of stuff. But as soon as he heard that it was because of the language, you could tell like he was just taken aback like, oh, really? <laughs> That's what he said? Like, do you know what's usually said out there? So for me personally, that was my favorite, but Zeke was great as well. Yeah, and calling a, calling a referee or, or any man really darling is kind of funny. Um, I also, you know, there's one I like too, and it's the one after the Jets game uh, where he basically said, we're not a good team. We're not as good of a team. or We're not playing like one of the top teams. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and John, you were there. But basically when he said that they were not one of the top teams in the NFL right now, and then they came out and got the Eagles, 
And not that that's some huge accomplishment, but it's a good win. And they, they stuck it to him. I thought that was a good one. Seeing Jerry and given the high hopes of this season for him to go, yeah, we're not one of the top teams right now. I know that was a painful thing for him to say. So that one kind of stuck out to me as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm down for all of that. I thought the, the accompaniment quote, not just Zeke who, but also the when, you know, it was getting a little chummy. And I don't know if it was the same day or not, but when he very quickly got to serious Jerry mode about I'm allowed to make jokes with Zeke. Like that's our relationship. Yeah. yeah let's, don't, don't mess with that. I thought that was very, very interesting that if no, that's a really good the, one too. Cause th- that yeah, was, that, one of those that where was he got telling super, to me. Yeah. He got really serious and it was, and it was, uh, that was after I believe the Jalen Smith uh, signing press conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that got really serious after, you know, it w- that wasn't the tone of, of when he was talking. And when that got brought up, you could tell that he was he was angry that that was taken in the wrong way because he knew he was joking around and that basically how much he's went to bat for Zeke since the time he's been with the Cowboys. Yeah, he did not like that at all. Okay, let's go on to the next category. The village is burning moment of the midseason is... Yeah, yeah, play action, Darnold to Robbie Anderson for 92 yards. That wins the village is burning all around this moment of the midseason. Uh, probably the most shocking, at least mouth open wide moment of the midseason. Would you guys agree? No doubt about I it. I don't know what else it could be. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah there's, it has to be that. I have zero argument for that. Um, I, I just think it's on several levels, too. One, the fact of the opponent. You got a guy that literally after the game, as Mike mentioned, talked about how, you know, hey, they just they did on defense what we expect them to do. And basically it was easy. And literally a week later, this guy's talking about seeing ghosts and he hasn't been the same since. And so to just be able to have this defense figured out after having this long layoff because you have mono and, and to make a play like that is crazy in itself when you consider the competition. But the other part of it is just that's what the Cowboys defense, even in their worst generally doesn't give up are those big deep plays. That's why they don't mm-hmm. usually get a lot of interceptions because they play back on the back end and and to get torched like that, uh, you know, by those guys. And even after the game, like walking out to try and pick up an Uber outside the uh in New Jersey there, I was walking out with some Jets writers and I was like, man, you know, that was I didn't know, you know, Robbie Anderson, Sam Darn, and they're looking at me like, yeah, <laughs> that's not gonna be happening every week. You know, that's that was kind of surprised <laughs> us too. Like it was not like you know, it wasn't like there was this, oh, yeah, no, this is what they do. This is their thing. It was like, well, yeah, no, we were a little taken aback by that, too. We didn't really see that one coming. And it was the fact that it just followed up them getting, you know, stonewalled third and one, couldn't pick it up on the run, fourth and one, couldn't pick it up on the run. And these guys right. are going to go 92 yards on you right before the half. Yeah, there's no question that that's the play. Yeah, yeah was, I mean, to me, even not even just the play, but the Darnold quote afterwards to me. Is that even more? Because, of course, the play happens. It's in the second quarter. You have time. They blew plenty of other chances later in the game to get back into this. The Darnold quote afterwards, after the loss is sealed, but then pointing out in very stark terms what this defense is by a quarterback who, uh, you know, looked terrible against New England, didn't look great against Buffalo. And as somebody who uh, is, 
you know, a, an alumnus of the University of South, Southern California and has watched a lot of Sam Darnold in my day. Sam Darnold is a pretty unrefined quarterback still. Didn't get a lot of quality coaching in college. Still has some special instincts and some special talent. But in terms of reading and understanding the game, that's very much the work in progress with him. And that's that's really the risk factor. So for that guy immediately to be like, oh, sure, this is a very easy defense and very predictable. And I can tear this up with Robbie Anderson. You know, that's that's really rough, especially given that we've spent so much time and ink and bandwidth and whatever measurement you want over the beginning this year, but obviously years before Kellen Moore arrived here, scrutinizing what the offense has done. We The first six weeks of this year, it was, is Kellen Moore calling plays? Is Kellen Moore not calling plays? Is Jason Garrett in it? Is Jason Garrett not in it? Look at the defensive side of the ball. That's what's predictable. And that isn't changing and doesn't look like it's going to change. And that's where, to me, you have to start asking bigger questions um, which to be fair, like they, you know, those concerns were laid for one week after the Philadelphia performance. But, uh, that quote to me sort of shined a giant glaring spotlight on, Hey, maybe we should be looking at what this defense is and what's getting called there. And, you know, if Chris Richard is calling a defense rooted in that Seattle scheme, does he have the personnel to run it the way he wants? I.e. in this disappointing secondary where there are no big corners and where in Seattle, the glamour positions were the safeties. And we know this organization's philosophies don't pay the safeties. Um, all these questions kind of started popping up for me after the Donald quote, but that does go back to that play. And so if you were going one on field moment, it's very clearly that touchdown. I don't think it's anything else. And, and I'm uh, not some guy who thinks that everything Tony Romo says is gospel, but I'll never forget what he said on that TV broadcast that day about the Chris Richard defense. And again, different players here than what Chris Richard was working with. But he talked about the league adjusting to that defense that Seattle was playing all those years. But again, very important that we're you know we're not talking about Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman, but I'm starting yeah you know, maybe that play is not something that was the one big play to that they haven't really given up this year. There hasn't been many big 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 plays, just a few, you know. Uh, and you know, the timing of it was weird, but uh, that's uh, that's why it wins. The village let, is burning down all around real, us. Moment. Real quick, let me add this in there. You know, I still yeah. think you can play. I don't. I see. I don't buy that on the on the whole scheme thing. I think the scheme would be fine with what the Seahawks were running, but you also have to have players that go and above and beyond and just make plays on their own. Just have those instincts. And I don't know that this secondary has those guys. They have guys that are very solid in playing the scheme, but I don't know that they have the guys that like an Earl Thomas, you know, like a Richard sure. Sherman that take it to the next level. That it goes beyond coaching. It's something in you that you know some guys just make plays on the ball and some guys don't. And, and I think that's a factor. If you're running it with those type of guys, I think that scheme still works today. I'm glad you said that because on that specific play, Xavier Woods is playing down in the box because he was kind of shadowing Le'Veon Bell because they didn't trust Jeff Heath to cover Le'Veon Bell, you know, in space. If that if, if Le'Veon Bell was going to take a, you know, take a passing route. And Jeff Heath was late getting over, over the top playing a free safety. So another team, just because they had a – a good shifty running back who can run routes basically forced you to change what you normally do. Keep your strong safety back playing free and your free safety up. And that's a big part of why that play didn't work is because Jeff Heath didn't get over in time and he's not as good of a free safety as Xavier Woods is. No. And I mean, they're, they're not going to, you know, until proven otherwise, we have no reason to assume that this organization is going to invest in the safeties. So this is what you have. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's go to the next category. The play of the midseason is Los Angeles, California. Scandrick 
10 years. A cowboy, a little flip here, goes to Tavon Austin. Inside the five, and he is in for the touchdown. Watch on the back end here. Orlando Scandrick thinks he's going to run a reverse the other way. Austin stops and comes back and gets all that field out there. And Austin, one of the great open field runners in college football, shows why here. That was some play design on that one. Now, I will be the first to admit maybe a touch of recency bias here, but the play that got me the most worked up in a good way would be the Tavon Austin touchdown against the Eagles. You get the turnover, you have a little motion, all right, and then you snap the ball and the pitch uh, in the the other direction and then cap it off with Tavon Austin kind of high-stepping and kind of doing the bit where he's being super shifty and Orlando Skandrick is guessing and – you know, chasing for his ankle. Something underrated to about me. that play, KT, is that the play takes. I tried to put it in there in the in the audio, but the t- play takes place right when Orlando's doing his like <laughs> Orlando Skendrick Boise State, and he gets burned yeah. like during that play for a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was that was funny timing. I thought. Yeah, well, he, can I offer a counterpoint in the, yeah. the same game? Uh, to me, it, it's Zeke bowling over Malcolm Jenkins. Um, mostly just for the symbolic implications of, you know, this team was coming off the Jets loss. You're sitting there going, what is this going to be? Where is the rest of this year going? And that was the dude who you paid, who's the face of your organization in some ways, because for better, for worse, it will be the, it is the biggest disconnect between what they believe, what a lot of smart football people on the outside believe in terms of values of running backs. It's the guy who epitomizes what they think they want to be in terms of a smash mouth running team. Uh, going at the defensive leader of their biggest rival, running him right over. And it was just that statement of intent of we're not backing down. We're not afraid. We're rallying. We're going to throw this in your face. And here's what I'm about to do to the, the guy who is the face of your defense. Um, bad teams or even just shakily coached good teams, the first stuff that can go are the intangibles, like that fight and that determination, that belief. I mean, you know, the, the, Cleveland is a much worse team than Dallas, but – they have a lot of offensive firepower, and they look like a disaster because there's no infrastructure. You know, the, nothing is getting communicated from the top down. There's no, you know, vision. There's no cohesion in the locker room. Nothing is working, and that's the, the stuff that goes out the window first. And at that point in the season, when you're sitting there going, "This team can go either way based on what happens tonight," for you to go out there early in the game, for Zeke to make that play at that statement of intent, to me that symbolized a lot of you know what? I don't know what the rest of the season is going to look like. At that point, we didn't even know what the rest of this game is going to look like, but they're clearly not packing it in. And there have been years where you can look and you can kind of tell that the light bulb's going off. That clearly was a moment for me. I look, I'm like, all right. They're not done by a long shot. And the rest of the game, at the very least, proved that. And we'll see how that kind of bears out over the rest of the season. Yeah, I have no, All I right, have no problem with either one of those. I'll just suggest this other one. I mean, th- the magnitude of that game, those are obviously great picks. But in terms of just at play, um, I got to throw in that Amari Cooper touchdown catch against the Packers, the 53-yarder, mm-hmm. just because of what he did on that play and just how much of a freak show he is on, on the spin move. And, and really, it cut it to within 10 with like seven and a half minutes to go. And if a couple other things that have went their way, maybe they get back in that game and they and, and they have a chance to win that game. And if they were going to have any chance, they had to score quickly. And, and for them to score that quickly in that 53-yarder, uh, that play is one I'll, I, I won't forget anytime soon. Oh, I think that's totally fair as well. And I think that that was probably your runner-up was the yeah, spin. Yeah, was a nominee. Let's go on to the next yeah, category. It was a nominee. Yes, it was a nominee. Yes. Right. Now they're frustrated the and they'll eat their cocktail. The moment of the midseason goes to the man who taught me everything I know. 
Jason Garrett. I'm concerned of you now that you might not have your main people back on the D-line for the Giants game week one. Yeah, I think I think we're way ahead of ourselves. You know, we haven't played our first preseason game yet. So we have a plan for the guys who have been out. Uh, they're ahead of schedule. They've worked very hard. Uh, they've really – sorry, we had a fire back there. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> Uh, um, so each of those guys has worked very hard. They're on schedule to get back and, and start to start to play football for us. And uh, so excited to see some young guys play and excited to get some veteran guys back in. Okay. That's funnier with Kent Addy. There, guys. <laughs> That's funnier with Kent adding uh, production elements to it. And, uh, and uh, Marinelli over there on the drums, just kind of. <laughs> there's a guy, there, so the so there's a guy. There's one of the media guys cooks like stew for all the media guys, and like his rig like fell over and like his uh, propane tank like like blew up basically like uh, behind the tent. That's what he was seeing. Just for some context, KT. Hey guys, how are we doing? Oh, there's a fire. Uh, yeah, I remember being there. That was the same day Robert Quinn got suspended too, right? Am I wrong there, John? I know I'm close. It's it's around that. It might have been that day. Um, I I don't I don't I can't say that it was that one for for certain. And really, when you're no, when you're out was. there and you get in that run of where it's like every day is the exact same thing, the same press conference, the same spot. You, you know, going by the working in the same tent, they all kind of just roll in there together. No, I think that was because that was, that was the question. How concerned are you about? Not having your defensive line. I can't think of another awkward press conference moment uh, this year that jumps out. Um, I mean, anything Jerry says sometimes, you know, but nothing from Jerry. It's always when he gets questioned about his job after a game. I mean, that's always always awkward. Yeah. I think the other one that I might throw up there is at the opening training camp press conference when they were asked about Jason Garrett and Jerry goes, because there was some drilling in the background or at those apartments. At training camp, and uh, Jerry goes, "I'm now what? I'm sorry, I can't hear your question." Oh, the leaf blower, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the leaf blower. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. a good one too. Yep, he was saying he couldn't hear the question, so I remember that one. Let's go to the next category, boys. The didn't see that coming moment of the midseason goes to the signing of Michael Black Santa Bennett. Ho ho ho! All right. That is his nickname on uh, Pro Football Reference, Michael Black Santa Bennett. Um, is that the most? Uh, is that the to you the thing that you didn't see coming the most? A trade for Michael Bennett? Yeah, it's two years in a row, man. That they really surprised us with with these moves. Obviously, this is nowhere near the magnitude of the Amari Cooper deal, but um, I didn't I didn't expect it for one just because they seem like they're pretty set with what they have. And now, I mean, obviously lose Tyrone Crawford for the season and you want to replace that position, but then just factoring in just some of the stuff Michael Bennett's done said publicly, it just didn't seem like that would be necessarily a fit for this locker room and what Jason Garrett's generally looking for. Um, so yeah, no, that's for me, that's easily the biggest surprise. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll ask you, John, um, while we're here on the subject, I mean, to what degree are you confident and, you know, I, I know the organization is going to say, well, he knows Chris Richard and, you know, he's going to be on his best behavior. It's a short season. 
Um, there's a whole wider conversation about what you believe Michael Bennett may or may not have done wrong, but in their or in this organization's eyes, very clearly, and we saw this discourse with Robert Quinn over the offseason, you know, they do not want their players being outspoken on social issues. They want guys to kind of, you know, stay focused on the season, so on and so forth. Again, whatever your politics are, they aren't. That's just the organization clearly prioritizes that. So, you know, John, do you buy that? you know, he'll be bought into the degree that the organization wants and beyond message to the degree the organization wants the rest of the way. I really don't think anybody, including Michael, could say that right now. I just, it just all depends on how things unfold. I mean, you know, um, he certainly, he certainly could. I can't rule any of that out. I mean, he has not been shy throughout his career about saying whatever's on his mind. And I will say that he has to see the writings on the wall with how many teams have parted ways with him and, and really good franchises have parted ways with him just in the last, you know, less than two years. So I'm sure that that has to be a message like, hey, they're really there's not going to be that many more teams interested in my services um, and especially at the age. And, and I'm getting older at a position that generally um, that's not a good thing. So maybe he buys in a little bit more because of that. But I mean, even though all it takes is someone to ask the wrong question or the right question, whether whatever you want to say, whatever your your goal is as a reporter, and he might say something that just doesn't go with the way like a lot of the things that you pointed out. So as of right now, I'd say, yeah, I think he'd buy in because he's going to be thrilled that he's on a team where he's going to not only get to play, but he's in a scheme that he wants to play in. Um, But just I just don't think there's any way of knowing. I think it comes back to it's going to be a six-rounder most likely for Michael Bennett, and you gave up a sixth for Robert Quinn, and already you've gotten what you needed. So for Robert Quinn, let's let's make Robert Quinn be two-sixth. You know, like you've already gotten enough, and we'll see if Michael Bennett works. I'm really excited to see Michael Bennett here because I do think he's going to add another dynamic uh, pressuring from the inside. What they and that's something that they need. The less and this is not shots fired or anything. But Malik Collins has been a fine pass rushing defensive tackle. Um, I mean, he's top ten in the league on in terms of defensive tackles when it comes to pressures. So he's he's done his job when it comes to pushing the pocket. It's inconsistent. You'd like to be be uh, see it be you know more constant and more consistent. But you throw Michael Bennett and Malik Collins on the inside and Lawrence and Quinn on the outside, they're going to win some games because of that crew as long as they can all stay healthy. So. I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, with that, we'll go on to the next category. The midseason anti-MVP is Brett Maher. Congratulations, Brett. Okay, Brett. Um, Man, I don't know if Brett's going to have an acceptance speech, so I will accept this award on his behalf. What is the award? What does it look like? uh, The the anti-MVP? It's Um, an inverted football. It's like a deflated inverted one. Yeah. It's like the it's like the Lombardi Trophy it's like engineering. That feet. It's like a flat football version of the Lombardi. That's what it is. Like bronzed or something. Yes, it's bro- Yeah, it's the, okay. no, it's it's copper. It's the, it's made out of cheese. It's tin. Yeah, it's aluminum. Tin. Yeah, there you go. What's cheaper than tin? I don't know. Whatever that is, that's uh, what it is. <laughs> this might just be Kent with the drive-by. Hey, right we, yeah, here, we but... we can't get through this mid mid season without. Well, he, wait, you were going to aim an MVP, Kevin? What? <laughs> no, he's the anti-MVP. Okay, yo, so right. is he MVP or anti-MVP? What is he going to have to do to get back in your good graces? Win a game for me. Okay. All right. Or get me back See, in I a game. Win, I want to win games by 7 and 10 points. But yes, okay. I, I'm okay with this. Uh, I'm, 
that, he's an that, object of fascination yeah. for me. Um, if you, if there are any <laughs> NBA fans listening to this, he reminds me of James Flight White. I made this comparison on Twitter the other the other week. James White, oh. if you don't know who he is, and he probably shouldn't, is uh, basically maybe the best dunker of the last twenty five years. Like he's been in slam dunk oh. contests and won them around the world. And he can do absurd things with his vertical leap and how much ground he can cover, all the tricks he can do. He's like the best dunker in the world. He can't do a lot of things that are conducive to winning in basketball. And therefore, <laughs> uh, James White doesn't have a job in the United States playing basketball right now. Certainly not in the NBA. Um, Brett Maher, I mean, now is tied for the NFL record of most 60-yard field goals. Like he is incredible with the power of his leg, it just isn't channeled in the ways that you can depend on him. And that's why he wins this award. But it's, it's he's so fascinating in the extremes and that he's never bored. You are never bored when Brett Maher goes out there. And that's not always a good thing. That's usually not, but it's interesting. Um, so he's just a fascinating figure for me. You know, it's a thing too where you sit there and go, just never has felt right with Maher. There was not even a point in last year. You went there. If you really pull up his numbers from last year, that's fine. I believe he had eight misses, and he was hovering around 80%. Um, now, I'm of the belief that you don't want your kicker to be below 85%. That's always been the cutoff line for me, just like an NBA, a really good three-point shooter, you know, 47%, I mean, 40%, you know, maybe 38 39%, 40%. I, I don't want my kicker hovering below 85%. And yeah. The Green Bay uh, game for me, uh, Casey. It, it seems just like the two missed field goals in yeah, the Green Bay game. Yeah, the you're down the Green seventeen Bay nothing, and you and you mm-hmm. miss a field goal. And then you're down ten late in the game, and you miss another one. And it's that just kills you when you're trying to trying to get back in the game. And the miss in the Jets game, I was less mad about because I thought they should have probably gone for it there. Um, anyways, I didn't think there was a big difference in a twelve point game and a nine point game. Um, but I, you know, again, you look around the league, there's a lot of teams with kicking woes and <coughs> Cowboys are just one of them. There are a lot of teams struggling. Even the Colts were having issues with Adam Vinatieri yesterday. And that's where I but, go, man. I don't but, know what's on the open market, but it does feel like they were committed won- to Maher no matter yeah. what. Well, Vinatieri ended up winning them the game though, in the end. Off of, sure. You know, yeah. You know, and so that's why they keep him around, you know, cause it's got that, he's got that reliability factor. To, to Mike's well, point, and a pass to John here, it is funny that it's just like you just never know, and that's why it's 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 like these guys are paid to do jobs and do them well, and it's like I don't know if any other player kind of had the consistency of him. I mean, with the exception of like maybe the DBs, just because every DB you know gives up a player to. I don't know if they'd be around much longer, you know. But John, who would your who would your pick be for anti MVP if it's not uh, Maher? Again, I'd go with it whole secondary but um yeah it's just gotta, oh no it's gotta be if it's gotta be i don't know i guess my i just my expectations are what factors into this my expectations for the defensive backs were a lot higher than what they were for brett maher and up until this point like he hasn't really i don't feel like he's single-handedly lost a game for them and i think he, the reason he is their kicker is because of the fact of like kt said what else is out there is one major factor and then two is is the weapon that he is from 60 plus yards there's just not a lot of guys like that so uh, it's one of those things where I just kind of feel like, yeah, he's not he's not that great. You could do better. But I also think that if they caught him, I think he'd get another chance with another team. I think you can make a case for for Cheeto in this award. Um, Cheeto's the one who gets bit on the Robbie Anderson touchdown. Cheeto is the one who, when they're playing New Orleans, Michael Thomas was having his way with kind of left and right. And there weren't 
you know, playing a backup quarterback. And it was really just two guys he had to worry about in Kamara, who was shut down pretty well by Van Der Esch that day. So much of their yardage was Thomas. Thomas was playing against Cheeto a lot of the day. Dallas has had four defensive pass interference penalties this year. Three of them have been on Cheeto. You can make the case there. Okay, just a few minutes left. Let's go on to our final category. The winner of the midseason MVP award is, from the position of quarterback, Rain Dakota Prescott. All right. Can we all agree on this? Dak is the team MVP at the midseason point? I'd have to go co MVP because I, I Oh I just I, oh. I gotta include Amari Cooper in there too. Um, I'm right there with John. If you don't I'm right there with if John. he doesn't have Amari Cooper, it I was don't know the injury. The injury is what knocked him out of uh off of the uh the academy when they saw the injury, John, is what yes. that's what knocked him out. The but that, demonstrate, I mean, that demonstrates some serious value right there, right? I mean that was sort of your case study for in case we forget how this offense and how Dak's trajectory has transformed since Amari Cooper, there was your convenient reminder right there. No, yeah, no, I think that's totally fair, and I'm happy to throw him into the mix there. But your quarterback, if you look at everything that we've talked about with him, a maybe not a new offense, but hey, remember they come out and start slinging it, and I know they played some bad teams, and look at all the numbers and this tra- trajectory that he's on. He's becoming, if you really go compare his numbers over the first three years, go they're very comparable to Russell Wilson. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he is Russell Wilson. I'm just saying his trajectory is there. And he's now made this Wentz-Goff discussion turn into, well, I think most people might be putting a little money on Dak now. Maybe there's still a bunch of Wentz truthers, and I'm okay with that. Um, so, to me, it's Dak. He's got to run the whole show here. They are have proven – because of his ability to do it, that they can be a passing team. They can be a passing team and win that way. That's not – it doesn't look like how they want to win games very often, but they've proven now that not only can they run it on you and beat you, they can now throw it on you and beat you. And that's a that's a, that's a tribute to him. And maybe, you know, Kitna and Kellen deserve a little credit for all that stuff too as well. But to me, I think Dak Prescott, we have seen everyone ask, can he take that next step forward? It's quite clear he's taking the next step forward, right? Like, there's no longer any debate about how much he should get paid and things like that, right? No, no, but there's also the. I feel like a lot of the same stuff you're saying about him. I feel like you can say about Amari Cooper because he's been far beyond what I think anybody was expecting. I mean, I can tell you this right from the day that that trade went down. There certainly was nobody talking about oh, this could potentially be the next triplets at that time. And then now you look at it and you're, and you're just like, wow, I can't believe that they got this guy for only a one. And just when he's out there, the things he does, and particularly in this offense where we know at times is not that creative, he just always wins. Whether he gets the ball or not, he always wins. And so, yeah, Dak's been incredible. I, I don't see how even the biggest Dak hater that, that is a Cowboys fan can be upset with where he's going. He looks like... He is going to be this franchise quarterback and play at a high level for a long time, and he's had a strong start to the season. And I have no problem with him getting the MVP, but Amari Cooper's been outstanding as well. All right, guys, that wraps up this edition of the About Them Cowboys first annual midseason awards. We will be back later in the week. Um, I don't know the specific date yet. We'll work that out between the, the rest of us, but we'll probably do it on Thursday as we get you ready for the Giants. It's a Monday night game, so we've all got a little time to dive in, see what the Giants have been up to over the last few weeks, and see how the Cowboys uh, begin to prepare for them. John, of course, will be out at the locker room um, at the Star, and we'll be 
getting the latest, making sure that the team's healthy as they get ready for the second half. They're in first place and have an opportunity to to go get it. The Eagles get that big win over the Bills yesterday, so the Eagles stay on your heels at 4-4. Four and four. So Cowboys 4-3 and three against the Giants. That is coming up next Monday night. We will prepare you for that with a preview podcast that you can find on theathletic.com where we hope that you would subscribe or anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. But uh, most importantly, please go check out all of uh, the work that The Athletic is doing, no matter if you're a Cowboys fan, an NFL fan, college football, NBA, now kicking off with some Mavs writing, the Stars and Sean Shapiro. There's so much great work happening over at The Athletic. So we'd love for you to subscribe and uh, give us a like and rate us and comment on us and do all that good stuff because uh, we love you and hope that uh, hope that we can uh, put out a good product for you every single week. For editor Mike Pellucci. That's me. For Father John Mashoda. Hi, guys. For our producer, who came up with these incredible production elements all show long. Absolutely. Kent Garrison. Thank you. Star of the show. Host KT. I'm Kevin KT Turner. I will see you next time, or you will hear me next time, as we all get together for another edition of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.